your whole culture will turn very, very toxic if you start to tolerate some of those behaviours that are against your values. So you need to be walking the walk, talking the talk, rewarding those behaviours when people behave according to those values. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% savings for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Filex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar, at filex.com.au. Acclaimed facility manager and industry leader, Kristen Green, is the first Australian to receive the coveted Ursa Women's Leader Award. Here she chats with the fitness industry podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about the 5P model for cultural success, the false economy of keeping popular team members who don't exhibit your club's values, and helping your team generate raving fans and referrals. Kristen, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thank you, Ollie. It's a pleasure to be here. First off, Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about your background in the fitness industry and your main role today? Yeah, absolutely. So my industry experience goes back some 30 years. I'm actually celebrating my 30-year anniversary in the industry this year. Thank you. My current role where I've been for the last 15 years is the executive manager of a a large fitness community centre out in in Campbelltown called Aquafit. Prior to that, I've sort of started, I've experienced most roles within the industry starting in 1989, owning a very small business, a small gym, teaching aerobics, personal training, kind of doing a little bit of everything. And over the years, I've kind of just progressed through the industry in in a number of different roles, you know, being on boards and sort of also kind of making contributions at different levels. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the role that I have at the moment is probably one of the most rewarding and probably the proudest and best opportunity that I've had to really make a difference to our industry. Amazing. I mean, 30 years in the industry, that's nearly as long as network. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Over that time, you would have experienced a lot of different workplaces, different working environments, different team cultures. So, I mean, today we're going to be talking predominantly about the culture of fitness businesses, which is so important. So, I mean, first off, in your opinion, what is culture? Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of research around what the definition of culture is and you can get tied up with, you know, lots of academic definitions. But one of the simplest ways to look at culture is just kind of the way that you do things around here. Or another way of looking at it is just perhaps to say that it's your personality. So it's like the personality of the business. Whatever way you choose to define it, it it is just absolutely critical that you understand the culture and that you really know what a good culture looks like so that you can grow and develop it because it's just absolutely essential to the success of a business. Okay. You say that businesses with great culture really stand out because so many businesses don't have one, presumably in the fitness industry as well as in other industries. So why is this? Why why do people struggle to develop a, a good culture? Yeah, that's a great question. I think sometimes people don't really know what a good culture is until you experience a bad culture. If you look at it in reverse, it's people sometimes don't have an awareness, they just kind of exist and you know, organizations are designed to get the outcomes that they achieve and that can either be good or bad, right? So a lot of people just kind of exist but I think you're on if you're on the front foot and you really understand what ingredients it takes to make a good culture, 
There are so many benefits in terms of, you know, what a business can expect in terms of staff morale, productivity, efficiencies, and all these great things come from that. But part of that, I think, is just having that awareness of really understanding at a grassroots level what a culture means, whether you choose to do that or whether you just accept it. And, you know, once you're in an organisation, the ability to kind of articulate and understand what those elements of culture are, I think, is the first way to identify where you can go to change, enhance or, or move forward with a culture. Hmm. You say that culture is made up of shared beliefs and values, which makes sense, and it's communicated through the language, rituals, stories and traditions passed on over the years. In which case, is it possible to sort of create a culture from scratch overnight for a new training studio, a new fitness business to kind of to create the culture that they want or to lay down the culture that they want? Or is it like a more of an organic, slow burning process over time? Yeah, ideally, I I think if you look at culture, you also need to look at the relationship that leadership has with culture. If you look at our industry, many self-employed people, people that are either in you know, management roles or, or self-employed as, as leaders in our role, you categorically are the biggest influencing factor on culture. So in an ideal scenario, if you're starting a business either as a sole trader or a PT business or I get the opportunity, as I did 15 years ago, to start a business from scratch, you are best positioned to be able to positively influence that culture from the get-go. So, in other words, I had the opportunity, as an example, to you know, 15 years ago to start from scratch to be able to build a, a business, not only just a physical business, but to build a culture around that business. And to do that, one of the things is that you have to clearly art- articulate is the values. So values of the business is so important to be able to act as a filter when you're actually establishing a new business and a culture. In fact, leadership is the most influential factor and studies show that perhaps the first 10 people that you actually employ as a new business will have the biggest impact on your culture. As we know, culture changes all the time, but if you can start from scratch or if you have the opportunity to do it right from the very beginning, it's going to be much easier to get a positive, inclusive culture rather than sometimes if you're dropped into a business where you're coming in, taking over a role, for example, it's much harder and arguably also nearly impossible to change a very negative culture. Okay, so I mean, that's when you started your business 15 years ago, did you lay down all of the, what your, your expectations of staff and everything in, in a series of systems and processes that would engender the, this culture? Yeah, and if you look at the different elements of culture, one of the most important elements of culture besides knowing your purpose is actually around people. Now, people arguably is is probably one of the hardest things to get right straight away. But if you have a very clear understanding of your recruitment processes and have a vision of the type of people that you want and hire according to your values, then again, you've got a very good chance to get it right. Now, no, obviously not always, but if when you're setting up a business and you're looking at adding people to your team, if you can hire based on your values and get people to demonstrate those values as part of the interviewing process. So in other words, if you hire hard, it can be a whole lot easier to manage easy down the track. So getting that right at the very beginning, so really good culture starting with people starts at the recruitment stage so values over skills to a degree i mean obviously you want to be employing staff who have got the right qualifications but so i've heard it said you know hire what you can't train Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we like to say too. It's like, yeah, you can always train people, but on, on the hard skills, but you know, you really need to hire on attitude. So it's no good getting people on your team that necessarily have all the right skills, tick all those boxes, but they don't have the right attitude. So yeah, absolutely hire on attitude first, and then you can train on skill. Okay. So how can club operators and business owners manage or nurture culture once they've 
done their best to employ staff that of the right mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do they then go about nurturing this? Yeah, I think that comes back to leadership. Again, if you look at, as I said, if leadership is the most influencing factor on, on culture. As a leader, you have to be a positive role model and your actions and behaviours have to always just, you have to walk the talk and you have to manage those expectations. So obviously you can hire people with the right attitude. You can't kind of set and forget around culture. It always, it's a dynamic living, breathing animal all the time. So everything that you do as a leader is on display and people are watching your actions and they're looking at how you're engaging with your members, with your team. They're also looking at what behaviours you tolerate as well. Because obviously if you're saying this is the culture that I want and I'm enforcing it, you're looking at that again through the lens of those values. People will very soon, your whole culture will turn very, very toxic if you start to tolerate some of those behaviours that are against your values. So you need to be walking the walk, talking the talk, rewarding those behaviours when people behave according to those values, but also being very strict about tolerating values that are outside that as an ongoing process. So even if some behaviours might not immediately seem to be damaging the business, you may have a trainer or a staff member who's popular and, you know, they're getting good class numbers or good clients, you know, client to PT sort of transitioned, there's, they could still be damaging the business and the culture? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's not until after that person goes that you realise that the type of damage that they've actually done. And, you know, when you look at it, it's, you know, the industry that we're in and the business that we have is all around teamwork. So no one person, I believe, is bigger than the organisation. So it's typical in, in my experience, you can find this when you're looking at membership consultants and people in sales roles or group fitness instructors, as you say, they, they're writing the big numbers, they're getting the sales, they're hitting budgets. All group fitness instructors, like you said, they're getting good class numbers, they're pulling in people that are coming back quite regularly. But at the end of the day, their behaviour is on display and you can't underestimate the value and the impact that that has negatively on those people around it. So if you kind of turn a blind eye to it, knowing that that person is doing that and getting away, and and it's hard sometimes because you really kind of, you're torn a little bit between, yes, they're doing that. But at the end of the day, if you accept and tolerate that behaviour and the rest of your team see you doing that, then they start to feel demoralised, they start to feel like the values can be compromised and that, again, that that person is not a team player because ultimately they're probably more selfishly motivated rather than contributing to the better and the ultimate good of the business. Okay. There's a saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Is that right? And if so, I mean, could a strong enough culture actually make a business succeed in the absence of strategy? Yeah, look, I believe my, my saying, I suppose, is culture is king. You know, at the end of the day, culture... Is, is at the top of the tree. Culture is everything and it defines what you do around business. Now, obviously, you have to have those other things. You have to have processes and procedures in place. Of course, you've got to have a strategy, which is your roadmap to go from there. But, you know, you can have the best strategy, you can have the best processes and, you know, things in place. But ultimately, again, if you're not navigating around that culture, you know, then you're going to come off the tracks <laughs> pretty quickly. So culture is something which which kind of permeates through all the different levels. So it's not just a something which is delegated to the top level. So sometimes strategy is delegated to, you know, the department heads or the senior management of a team in terms of like, you know, they're responsible for setting the strategy. Culture is not something that you can delegate and you can't just kind of set and forget, as I mentioned earlier. It infiltrates all levels and it needs to infiltrate all levels of the business. So that's why it is something that it has to permeate through all levels to be able to be successful. So certainly you do need strategy, but in my opinion, I think that, you know, ultimately culture is is king. Okay, so how can fitness business operators consciously develop and grow culture? 
a strong culture. A strong culture. Yeah, that's right, because culture can be good or bad, right? (laughs) So what I've actually looked at is over my experience through studying and also my experience in the industry, what I've looked to try to do is to build a simple model, which I've called the 5P model. And the reason that I've developed that model is just to simply explain and for people to be able to assess what their culture is and also to use it as a bit of a guiding light in terms of what a good culture looks like and what are the elements of those. So I've called that the 5P model. And those five Ps are purpose, people, position, participation, and professionalism. Okay, so I guess we're taking <laughs> taking that from the top then. You said purpose, I think, for the first of those. So when we're talking about purpose, and we often hear, you know, Simon Sinek and, and why, yeah. back to why, been a, a big question that a lot of businesses have been asking themselves and their people in recent years. Do fitness professionals maybe and businesses struggle to define their why other than the, the most obvious answer to get people fit or to make money as a business? Do they struggle to get deeper and actually unearth their own why? And if so, how can they get down and find that? Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, I think Simon Sinek is probably, he coins that phrase pretty well. And, and it's something that I use in terms of, you know, my research as well. But I mean, ultimately is the why is why you exist. Now, I mean, as a leader of a business, you need to understand what, what your reason for existing is beyond just, you know, to make people fit or to, you know, those, those kind of superficial kind of levels. And it's just really important that you understand that so that your team and the people that are working with you understand that as part of your value-based system as well. It, it is possible to delve a little bit deeper and I think that that's something that doesn't automatically come up straight away and it's often not the first response. But your why is also your differentiator as well too. You know, so we all have different ways of achieving our why and we also have different reasons for existing. So ultimately I think defining your why beyond a just let's get everybody fit to really drilling down to what your purpose is and, you know, the clientele that you're working with will really make a difference and obviously if you're clear on your why and you're very passionate about that then it makes it a whole lot easier to communicate and articulate that with your team and also to keep going when the time gets tough and things are you know through business we know that you know there are times when it gets a bit tough and and we wake up and we go really do I have to go to work today if you've got a very clear purpose about why and everyone's engaged with that then it's going to be a whole lot easier to achieve you know your business outcomes when things get a bit tougher as well. Okay, so what with Aqua Fitness and Leisure, which is a highly awarded business, you guys have a very strong culture. You must therefore have a very strong why. Yeah, we do. And our why exists to improve the, you know, the lives of our local MacArthur community. And tied in with our whys is our who. And what we really try to do is to make our services accessible to people of all ages, all shapes and all sizes, to make people feel comfortable. We're a little bit unique in that, you know, we are a a large facility, we focus more on on service. So, you know, the days 15 years ago, where we built a a massive centre, the size of what ours were, probably don't exist these, you know, these days. But, you know, we really aim to provide a not only beautiful five-star facilities but to also enhance the lives of the you know our residents in the, and our members in the local MacArthur community by providing a high level of service and we kind of also understand that for members to actually walk in through that front door for the first time can be quite intimidating so hence we really focus on trying to provide a level of service which is not intimidating and to make people feel welcome as well. The second P mm-hmm. on your in the five P's is position. Yeah, so it ties in a little bit, of course, to the point 
that I was talking about before. So in terms of positioning, it's just really important to understand, again, this is around the differentiation of your of your business. Obviously, the fitness industry, we are such a conglomerate of different types of business models, and which is fantastic, appealing to a whole range of people. But really, again, you've got to be very clear about your where and your how. So where are you existing? You know, how are you achieving those outcomes and making sure that Again, you've got congruence and alignment there and then continually reviewing your position. So, you know, one of the ways that you can look at that is also just being very clear about doing things like a SWOT analysis in terms of what are your strengths, weaknesses within, you know, the market that you're looking at. And that's a process of continuing review. So again, you never kind of just go, this is where we are. You're always doing that environmental scan, looking at what's happening around and what factors are impacting on your business because it is so dynamic and, you know, the disruption and, and rate of change is so rapid within our industry. It's just important to really drill down to, you know, how you can change and adapt to what's happening around you. So you do need to have that flexibility to be able to be agile as well. You're talking about position and knowing your market and your demographic there. I can see how niche clubs could almost, it may be easier for for small niche clubs catered to a very specific demographic or a very specific type of training, which they know will only probably attract a certain demographic, how they they might be able to go, okay, this is our group. This is a culture we're going to go for because this matches these, you know, we're going to have small group training. We're going to have a hit training. It's going to be in this area of the city. We're going to have like young professionals going hard so we can develop this kind of hardcore culture or something. With bigger facilities like your own, where you're catering to all of the local community, mm-hmm. obviously you guys have found a, a way to create this amazing culture. Is it more of a challenge because, in, in a way, because you're not niche and you are trying to cater to so many people? Yeah, I think it can be definitely very challenging. And certainly, you know, when we were established 15 years ago, the the whole environment that we existed in is totally different to where we are now. So, you know, as we know, there's so much more proliferation around, you know, small groups and boutique type businesses. And I think there's definitely a place for those because, you know, we can see that they are getting success by specifically targeting unique and very specific areas of the market. You know, and like you said, we are very general. So although we don't try to be all things to all people, we do try and be as accommodating as possible, you know, as much as we can. It does sometimes make it challenging from a marketing perspective and also from a positioning. So it's like, where do we position ourselves? So, you know, we don't want to be, for example, we have a great aqua program, you know, we run over 20 aqua programs, aqua classes per week, but we don't want to be positioned as just purely providing older adult exercise programs because we also have a younger demographic coming through as well, making, you know, taking advantage of some of our more contemporary, you know, programs, which we offer as well. So it does make it a little bit harder in terms of segmenting the market and really trying to drill down and saying who is our our core group for us we're happy to you know we're a big church we're happy to take anyone that wants to come along and does feel comfortable and appreciates the fact that we will provide good service and expertise in that area which kind of triples down to making sure that our staff are highly skilled and and trained in that area as well so I suppose a long-winded answer is that yes there is definitely a market for those people because we are seeing that there is success for really being niche but for us we're happy to kind of continue but it does make it a little bit more challenging in terms of marketing segmentation but if you're i guess if your your culture is evolved or is based around just great great service 
then that can be applied to any demographic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like to think that we we try our best. We don't always get it right. But I think one of the areas of success of the boutique type things, and certainly, you know, I've used CrossFit as an example and some of the smaller boutique type which are popping up, is that they are heavily focused around connection and connectivity and making sure that they do get the opportunity. But by their size, they're able to get to know their members and their participants a whole lot better. So in some ways, they are able to, you know, build that level of, you know, member to member connection and, and build that community and connection at that level. Obviously, once you get as big as we are, it, it sometimes is a lot harder when you've got, you know, four and a half thousand members to really provide that same level of service. So I think we can do it on a broader level in different ways, but they also are successful because they've got the smaller, more intimate opportunity to get to know their members on, you know, a one-on-one personal level. Next up was participation. What do we mean with participation? Yeah, the two components of participation for me are around connection and community. So when I mean connection, I mean there's a number of ways within the business and that's obviously between members and member to member connection, but also from your staff to your members as well. So we know obviously from so many statistics and research that the more that our staff can engage with our members in in businesses where that, you know, that does exist, the more that our group fitness instructors can work with the people in the class, the greater retention that we'll get, the greater referrals you get. So, so much more business success and better outcomes from that. And the other big component is community. And I think that that's something that we've done very, very well is that we've made a conscious decision to engage with our community on a number of different levels through fundraising opportunities, through external participation in in events, driven from a real desire to make a difference in our community. But of course, there's also the opportunity to, you know, build brand and and awareness within the community as well, but also kind of driven by our members to, to want to be part of a bigger cause to get out in the community and be involved and engaged and and do that so that's really the you know the opportunity for participation so what, what would, would those community events look like are we talking sort of maybe free outdoor training classes or runs or events that you're putting on that anyone can join in with yeah all of those things we also actively engage with our our local community on a number of different things so for example we take about opportunities for things like there's in the Campbelltown area there's a Campbelltown city challenge walk so we have a team of 100 people of our members get together with our staff very early on a Sunday morning and walk through the beautiful you know botanical gardens the other thing that we've done is over the last 50 15 years in our area, there's a 24-hour fight against cancer, MacArthur. So we've raised on average probably $150,000 or more over that time towards, you know, cancer fundraising initiatives within. So participating by running fundraising events within the centre plus outside. And we also have participated through one of our suppliers in a large global event where we've been successful in donating over $75,000 worth of equipment to local schools in the area. And that's been run in gym. So there's a number of initiatives we kind of do things within the club, which could be fundraising activities, as well as kind of getting out within the community and literally having opportunities for our community to participate in a broader, not necessarily fundraising, but also just to kind of build connection within our area. So you're getting a good reputation among all of the community, not just the community within your club. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, the cynics kind of look at it from, you know, being good social corporate responsibility, I suppose. But it's something that I felt very strongly about in in other roles prior to me starting here. I've always struggled with working for organisations that genuinely want to make a difference and trying to corral members together without me sort of saying, okay, pushy, pushy, push. But what I found from the word go is that it's almost been that our members have wanted to do that 
that and they've initiated those things and we've just facilitated it. And it's, you know, not only, as I said, it's great brand awareness, but it's really just kind of, you know, providing a greater sense of purpose beyond what we are. And to the degree that sometimes we feel like that we're an events company because we're running so many different fundraising things and, you know, there's a lot of work to go in and, and try and rally to get the members together to do that. But it, again, it's part of our culture and it's ingrained that we really do want to engage our members at that level, not really from a business perspective in terms of it's not a conscious strategy to say for a financial outcome. It's more just the fact that it, it just adds another dimension to the business. And our community out there in, in the MacArthur area is one that I found is very engaging and very receptive to, to having people participate and be involved. You're talking a lot about people there and that actually leads on to the next of the P's, which was people. Yeah. So, I mean, community <laughs> and, and all of the interactions that you're sort of talking about, you need good people. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think P is probably, the, the P for people is probably one of the biggest things. And as we discussed earlier, that starts at the recruitment stage. And, you know, I'm a big fan of, I, my team always hears me talking about the Jim Collins, right people on the bus and the first who, then what. So it's about trying to the best that you can, really having a retention strategy about fit. And it's about cultural fit and recruiting for those values, as as we said there. So although we don't always get it right, but, you know, if you look at Jim Collins, it's about getting the right people on the bus, getting them in the right seats on the bus. But also if there is a time where someone isn't fitting in, as we said, you know, say those high performers that aren't necessarily a good cultural fit, it's about taking decisive action and and moving them on as quickly as possible before the the collateral damage is done to the rest of the team. And once you've got those people, obviously, you need to reward and recognise them as well too. So you reinforce and we also reward according to the core values. So What we have is a a formal recognition program, which means that anyone within the organisation has the opportunity to operate on a digital platform and they can actually go through and recognise people for what they've done. It could be just a thank you, or we also have the ability to be able to allocate some points, which means that they get more formal recognition and can accrue those to be able to purchase things down the track. So it's a great program, but even if it's just what we call a cheers, which is just saying, I just noticed Mary did a great job the other day, thanks for helping me out, or thanks for staying back late just that recognition which everybody gets to see so it helps reinforce and we have the opportunity even to say why we're reinforcing those and they'll be again according to our values so people can select what values they're actually rewarding them for whether it's compassion or whether it's community or teamwork so that they can send that recognition so again it's just really important to get that staff engagement and to catch people doing right you know, as I said, you know, we, we know that it's very easy to find someone doing something wrong and to, to pick them up, but it's really finding an opportunity to recognising somebody doing, you know, right more often than wrong. And a little bit of praise and recognition goes a long way. Absolutely, you know, because that's where you get your discretionary effort. You know, people will, it's always been my philosophy, I think, that try and create a culture where people enjoy coming to work, where they feel that it's a, not a high necessarily, we're not such a great, you know, high clapping fun place to, to work, but people feel as though that they can make a difference. They can engage with our members, but they can enjoy what they're doing and they look forward to coming to work because we know that if, you, if you're going to do that, that discretionary effort, and it also you'll find that you'll have less absenteeism, you'll have better productivity, and, you know, and a more engaged staff is going to mean that your your members will notice. They'll notice that your staff are happy, that they're engaged, that they want to be there as well. So the flow-on effects are critical. So really just getting that little bit of discretionary effort from people in times when it gets a little bit tough, that they're prepared to go the extra mile when you couldn't even hope to reward them financially sometimes for the effort that they provide. Well, that's music to many club owners' ears, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Kristen, the I think the probably that takes us to the final P, which I think was the professionalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sort of speaks to more around you know customer care standards and a little bit about. What I mean by that, I suppose, is that, again, with our members or our customers is that, you know, these days members are looking for an experience. It, the relationship that we have is is no longer transactionary. It, it has to be beyond that. It has to be about building experiences for our members. And we know that if we get that right, we're going to get fantastic brand advocates. We're going to get the loyalty and we're going to have rating fans. So obviously, you know, no amount of advertising can provide the same benefit of someone that's referring someone for your business. So making sure that you can try to get that customer care perspective right and you know that's just little simple things like from your frontline staff getting to know your members names when they come in it's the you know the warm welcome the you know the fond farewell as as um, Chris Stevenson was talking to a fair bit but it's also around the opportunity that you get to you know preempt what they want so it's handing out a card for the class that you know they're going to do before you know those things are are things which just make a huge difference around customer care and again talking to that point about being a brand advocate is that, you know, all of the things that you do progressively just help to build your brand, but also build the loyalty around that. So really what you want to end up with ideally is that rating fan. So someone is out there referring you, but all of that sort of levels of professionalism, it's making sure that your environment is safe for members to train, making sure that you uphold all your work, you know, the boring stuff like your work health and safety regulations, but you're providing a safe place for them to train. And It's kind of for me also about never resting on your laurels. It's like always looking at that process of continual improvement. So never kind of just going, well, yep, that's great. I think we've nailed it. I think we'll be right here. It's forever looking beyond in terms of what else can we do to improve. You know, an example of that is just if we run an event, we'll do a debrief after that where we'll sit down with the team and we'll go, okay, what worked well? What are some of the things that we could improve for next time? We document them and then we make a note so that next time we run the event, we can kind of just tweak it a little bit and run it that little bit better. So it's always just continually looking for an opportunity to continually improve your systems, processes and the way that you do things, yeah. As you alluded to there, yeah, it's very important to be documenting and measuring all of this stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's great to have all of these these systems and all of these areas that you need to focus on. But if you need to 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 improve in all of those areas, you do need to be measuring them and, and creating a benchmark. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, no matter how you choose to do that, whether it's, you know, one of the best ways to do that is obviously through the Net Promoter School, which I believe in, and that's offered in a lot of different ways. It's surveying your members, it's getting that feedback and always be prepared to kind of take that on. So it, it has to be that qualitative data as well, 100%. So it's good to have the solemn systems for your staff, obviously having KPI so that they understand the expectations. So you know, culture is great. It can be all about the warm and fuzzy things. You're right. But it also does have to be about the qualitative and the achievable sort of guideposts, if you like, and whether that's around financial, whether that's around, you know, minimum standards for customer service and things like that, because everybody as part of that culture needs to know what's expected of them to be able to deliver on that as well. A lot of food for thought there, I think. With I mean, any business now will be, I think, realising that culture really is, it really is an essential thing that they need to be nailing because, it affects every area of the business. It affects staff turnover. It affects member turnover. It affects profits, obviously. Yeah. So any any last bits of advice for, for people listening that who are thinking that they really need to focus on this? Look, I think my final thought is just around the fact of, you know, in in today's business landscape is that everything is so transparent. You know, people know about your business before they engage with you. And the number one thing that is that's all about is your culture. So they can quickly 
go to your business page and see what your reviews are. They can Google your business. So people often know a lot more about your business sometimes than you might be prepared to, <laughs> to acknowledge. So everything is so transparent. And the number one thing that you can control is your culture. So in an environment where everything is so competitive and people are sometimes offering like-for-like product, culture is the the opportunity to really differentiate what you do and to do things, you know, well because a really positive, inclusive culture quite simply just means business success. There are, like we said, so many rewards, financial and otherwise, around having a culture. But because we have that transparency, you can't hide anything. You can't hide a bad culture. You know when you walk into a business how it feels, that things feel good, that the staff are happy. So, you know, everything is so much more transparent. You need to be transparent with your business and your policies and your procedures. And one of the best ways to do that is to really consciously manage your brand and manage that brand through, you know, through culture. Kristen, thank you so much. There's a lot of lot to think about there. I think if listeners want to find out more, though, where can they go? Yeah, sure. I'm contactable on LinkedIn, so I spend a little bit of time on there. We also have the Aquafit page. People are welcome to have a look and see there. And I'm also on Facebook and Twitter as well. Kristen, thanks again for talking to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Ollie. I appreciate it. To grow the success of your fitness business, learn from the industry experts in Network's online business skills courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points. Go to the Network website, select the Courses tab and click on Business. Network members save up to 30% on courses, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Phylex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar at filex.com.au.